What is up, everybody? Happy Wednesday and welcome to the TDR Trade to Black podcast. As usual, I'm your host, Shad Dales. Hope you're having a good week. Seen a little bit of a bumpy ride this week, but all is well. I think in this podcast, you want to kind of take a step back. Got a great guest on who's been investing in this space for 10 plus years. And I know we get fixated on what's moving on what on a day-to-day basis. I think we need to stop, pause, and look at the long-term trajectory because there are bills being passed in New Hampshire, South Carolina, Hawaii, the overall health of the industry continues to grow. As well, we're going to dive into Bitcoin. Not sure if you guys have looked at it yet, but over the last 30 trading day sessions, Bitcoin is up almost 25%. So it continues to rip. Why? Well, let's welcome in our two TDR co-hosts. First up, Anthony Varel. Good to see you. Happy Wednesday. You Hope you're enjoying your day. It's uh, it's great. It's great. Just another, uh, another Wednesday. It was Cannabis all over the place, crypto's cranking. It's uh, it's great. Yeah, no complaints. Uh, before we, uh, I, I think when we close out today's podcast, before we start filming today, uh, love the golf swing. When you step back behind the camera, it's a great camera shot. So as we tee things up, maybe step back, do the golf swing, and sign off. It looks sharp. Uh, let's welcome back in Guap Wednesdays. Ooh. Happy day of love, everybody. I'm wearing my rose-colored glasses. Can you feel it? Can you feel it? I didn't, but I do now. How's I'll take them off when I get serious. Trust me. All right. Good enough. How you been, brother? Doing all right. Ready to get into it. Yeah. So, uh, as I said off the top, lots of talk, lots to talk about, lots to unveil. And uh, this is Into the Wire Trade of Black podcast with my host here, Shad Dales. Good to see you, along with Anthony and Guap. And as I said off the top, uh, Bitcoin, it is ripping up over 10% the last five trading days, close to 25% over the past month. Anthony, when we look back, I forget what date it was, early January, and the SEC approved spot ETFs. We actually saw a pullback. Maybe highlight to our viewers, like what are some of the key announcements that have happened over the thir- past 30 days that have had Bitcoin completely reverse? And like I said, is completely ripping right now. Yeah, so I think the ETF announcement happened on January 10th. Um, it was officially announced. We saw Bitcoin pull back, I think, from about 48 to 40 um, on that. And I mean, that was a lot of it was contributed FTX. Um, having GBT she- GBTC shares that were finally unlocked and they could sell. Um, there was also some selling pressure and it was a sell the news event throughout the entire sector. Um, that being said, the narrative was always these capital inflows and the buy pressure that the ETFs are going to create should cause the price of Bitcoin to go up. That had a lagging effect as I think there was about a two and a half, three week um, drawdown in the price, hit 40 yeah. and it's above 52 as it is today, iBit, which is the BlackRock ETF, um, has got about five billion in inflows itself. Um, they were it j- just since January 10th. They mm-hmm. were expecting five billion in inflows for the entire year of 2024. Wow! Um, so it can just give you a kind of a barometer as to what the actual demand is for this product. Um, they're out there selling it. There was just an ETF conference down in Miami where the Bitcoin ETFs were on full display. I'm yeah. sure they were being sold to fund managers left and right. Um, yep. This product is going to create buy pressure. It's going to create and it's going to create price action in Bitcoin. And I think it's here to stay. And it's obvious that it's a, also a very popular product as it relates to ETFs. Hmm. So if I, we're just getting started is what you think. Yeah. I mean, I think that this paired with the having 
um, paired with continued interest with retail wanting to come yeah. back in, um, you could probably see the all-time highs taken out here in the uh, the next couple of months. And I don't think six-figure Bitcoin is out of the conversation. Yeah. Guap, mm -hmm. do you follow crypto space closely? Just a little bit. <clears throat> I have some Bitcoin. Um, definitely uh, feeling feeling the love right now with the, the Biden eye, laser eyes. I mean, Anthony's talking about institutional flows. I think big money's coming in. Nimble money's always coming in and out. Oh, um, but some so of the recent, recent action uh, <laughs> can definitely be attributed to Biden laser eyes. This was not a joke about the Super Bowl. Uh, this was obviously or or a Valentine's Day uh, laser eye. Uh, I think this is this the Bitcoin maxis took this as a promising sign and are piling in right now. And I'm I'm loving it. That picture is trippy. Hey there. It's, again, you know, we were talking about uh, on Friday. I was talking about <laughs> communication strategy and the upside and downside of posting certain things. I think the uh, POTUS should take a look at that uh, clip. Jungle yeah. Java, good to see you. We had a Here's great uh, little uh, talk. We're trying to put a Twitter space together with Jungle Java, but uh, great conversation with her this morning. John Reville, how's the sweater? Is a good fit? Good to see you, sir. Mungie Boy, good afternoon. Lucifer, I think you've been on a few times. We haven't acknowledged you, but good to see you. We've got a, a lot of the original OGs on here today. And um, yeah, good to see you all. And thanks for uh, logging on. As usual, leave some comments below. We got Emily Paxia coming up one of the most seasoned investors in the space. She's a fund manager, been investing in the space for over 10 years. So we're going to get her expertise and direction on what she thinks the state of affairs are here in 2024. But more importantly, let's stop looking at the next 12 minutes on how this space is going to trade and step instead look back at the next, you know, or look ahead at the next three to five years, but that'll be an interesting conversation as usual. Make sure to log on to thedalesreport.com and uh, subscribe to our daily newsletter, the Baked In Newsletter. We've got tomorrow's weekly equity research report coming out. Who is it? We'll find out. The only way you can is by subscribing to our Baked In Newsletter. All right. Next up here on Into the Wire, the now shift to everybody's favorite topic, cannabis, and dive into the ongoing frustrations of two ETFs run by the same company, which is MJUS along with MJ ETF. MJ US has about 136 million in net assets. MJ ETF just under 250 million. If you're keeping score, it's about a quarter of the size as Dan and Noah and the boys over at Advisor Shares and their MSOs. But getting back to these two ETFs overall, Guap, the past two weeks is seeing a lot of daily rebalancing, leaving investors with a lot of questions on the direction of these ETFs and the impact it's having on the overall industry. But, you know, I will say there's been some frustration here, right? Yeah, a lot of confusion. Um, you know, there's a lot of ETFs uh, closing. And we talked about that on a previous show about, you know, what it actually takes to, you know, 30 million under under management to, you know, break even essentially. So why they're closing, looking those up, looking up when dates they're, dates they're closing, seeing if you're any or your positions are in those um all these etfs post their holdings every single day so i track them um and have been tracking them for years just to keep an eye on all of them um but uh i saw a lot of confusion about the mj and mj us uh today so i'd really like to get into that um so mj is an etf that's passively managed msos of course is actively managed so he can yeah. buy and sell Every single day, he can. If he really likes a particular tier one MSO, he can buy a whole lot of uh, green thumb, for example, on a given day. 
MJ and MJUS work differently. They use sort of a proprietary market cap weighted uh, formula. And um, so all the sort of like conspiracy theories and accusations that they're doing it to benefit themselves or they're clueless or whatever, it's it really comes down to a mathematical equation. So yeah. um, MJ ETF was there first. They invest all in L, uh, sort of Canadian names, big war names, because they had to. MJUS is essentially a competitor to the MSOS product in the sense that they use total return swaps to expose themselves to US names. Um, but like I said, it's passively managed and it's based yeah. on market cap. So what we're seeing is a, a complex crossfire of ETFs selling off things and MJ and uh, MJUS rebalancing. Um, they have a daily rebalancing in what's known as a quarterly reconstitution. Um, and so the rebalancing is based off, uh, I know this is a lot of info, uh, guys, but- um, No, this is good, this is good. I gotta clear it up. Um, the rebalancing on a daily basis is based on trying to get their holdings to line up with the percentages of the portfolio allocation on the prime alternative index. So that's uh, what they're trying to mirror with the MJ ETF. Right. So um, I won't get into too much detail there, but they're trying to constantly rebalance every day. The reconstitution is when they change those percentages um, up. So, for instance, uh, MJ can up or uh, raise or lower their MJ US exposure okay. uh, on a quarterly basis. And so the stocks within the MJ ETF will sell off. I've seen that with some of the LPs and, and such. Um, but this time they decided to actually sell off a little bit of their U.S. exposure. Don't yeah. ask me why. That is a judgment call. That's not a formula. So it's that is an active management strategy. But then within the reconstitution and rebalancing process that we're seeing, you're seeing things that don't make sense, like they're buying a bunch of this small cap and they're selling off your favorite tier one MSO and people are freaking out, it really comes down to how relative strength of the market caps versus each yeah. other. I'm not saying it makes sense from an active management standpoint. It doesn't, yeah. but it is, it is a formula and uh, we're sort of subjected to it until, until the big money comes in and renders all this discussion moot. Yeah. We're, we're sort of at the mercy at some of these ETFs sometimes, and we can see a lot of buying and selling pressure as a result. Of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it, it also should be said that, I mean, it just goes to show you how immature this sector is from a capital markets perspective. An ETF rebalancing should not right. be wreaking havoc on exactly. all the best names in the space. Um, this should be a nothing burger and should be honestly being done behind the scenes. You shouldn't see it be, you shouldn't see it just literally wreaking havoc, causing volatility for the past two or three sessions um, across the sector with the names that they are rebalancing. Yeah, when it trades this thin, uh, yeah. even a small ETF closing shop um, because they can no longer afford to run it, um, you'll see it. You'll you'll see them actually like, you know, hit the bid. Yeah. So. No, no, it's all Shardy B's fault, right? Spucifer, we won't get into that, but uh, that's creating quite the, uh, we're not going there, but that's create quite the firestorm. On, want to, uh, maybe on Friday, right? Yeah. Uh, well, I think a lot of you have to say, like, segues into our next topic, and I think it's an important one. Uh, but now focus on and continuing the cannabis space, but state level growth. And uh, what I mean by that is that, you know, let's face it, 
we're fixated a lot on rescheduling right now. And in a lot of ways, like, I think we miss the day-to-day -day stuff. You know, you guys were outlining to me prior to the podcast, like we're seeing Hawaii senators approving adult use bill. New Hampshire is voting at adult use. South Carolina passed a medical business. So when we look at this from the 40,000 foot view, Anthony, all is well when you look at this space and the direction it's going and how it continues to build day by day by day, right? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, I said it this morning. I mean, I think the fundamental story for the cannabis sector is more alive than ever. Yeah. Um, I mean, you see this step function growth that we've seen since 2015, 2016. And I mean, all the biggest states aren't even online yet. You've got Florida, you've got VA, you've got PA, you've got things moving in Hawaii, things moving in South Carolina, North Carolina was being talked about last week. Um, adult use is happening, medical is happening, and these companies do keep are, are have very good growth catalysts um, in front of them. Growth is going to be yeah. something that's going to be the narrative for the next three to five years, because especially when I say Florida, sure, Florida adult use is a great point of conversation. But as we talked about with Brady the last time he was on the show, Florida adult use realistically on a best case scenario is July 2025, that it's actually going to start to roll out and get put into the numbers. So, I mean, as Guap alluded to, and as you alluded to, we wanted to talk to is taking a more long-term view of the space. I mean, I think that's very important, especially as we talk about growth uh, moving forward. Yeah. Uh, bingo. I agree with that. Right, Guap? Yeah. We got a sweet <clears throat> graphic to bring up here. Um, detailing, you know, we put it out on the Dales report uh, Twitter page. It's a little hard to read here, but, um, you know, just trying to detail exactly like, this is a state-led growth story with hard-to-time political catalysts. Shout out yeah. to Jesse for coining that phrase. Um, you know, it's it's we're growing every year, and there's a bunch of states that aren't even on this graph yet where we're getting rumblings. Uh, Anthony listed them all out. Um, also, don't mess with Texas. That could be your, uh, uh, you know, at this point, Speaking. We're, we're, we're starting a betting pool about who's going to be the last state. We're between, uh, I think, um, Nebraska and, uh, and Idaho, right? So, yeah, you know, it, cat's out of the bag, genie's out of the bottle. Uh, you know, I know we're all super, super focused on how many percentage points the MSOS is going to go up as a result of each catalyst that's going to happen. Yeah. But um, if we just zoom out a little bit, uh, and and I really, you know, I'm kind of a futurist. Um, you know, cannabis is going to take over the world. If you zoom out far enough, it's going to be everywhere. So, you know, all this sort of arguing day to day becomes really silly when you just zoom out even five years. Yeah. Also, I think it's very important to note that this morning there was actually a story on Texas where Total Wine has a Delta 9 beverage end cap that was in, cool. in one of their stores that they're testing out in the market. This is after they rolled out that initial pilot program um, in Minnesota, and I think Massachusetts was the corresponding state afterwards. I don't yeah. think cannabis gets done in Texas for, for years to come Yeah, um, right. at a medical level, especially adult use. But it is very encouraging the fact that a, a company like Total Wine is actually testing this product in a market like Texas um, right. with their Delta 9 products. Yep. Yeah. A lot uh, of sunshine down there in Texas, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Mr. Moz writes, Anthony, you the man, brother, with your take on basically the growth and where we are, I think fundamentally as far as the industry itself. But uh, yeah, I think we all can agree that 
there's a lot of people that made a lot of money real quick and could be over leveraged right now with a lot of these stocks pertaining to the industry. But I think that's where we need to stop, pause and just stop being so fixated on the short term and realize with a lot of announcements. And to your point, Guap, one day could we see cannabis take over the world? Uh, I definitely think the level of interest is there, don't you? For sure. I mean, I held Apple for 20 years and it wasn't long <clears throat> enough, guys. Right. You know, still have wait, wait for the thesis to play out. I know we're all bent out of shape and we want to point fingers at so-and-so and so-and-so and come up with a million theories, but I'm just waiting y'all out. Yeah. Sean Kelly writes, this sector is immature in more ways than just capital. He may have a point there. Yeah. Old, old yeah. guys tend to have the longest time horizons. Isn't that weird? Yeah. Yeah. Um, don't forget, everybody, leave comments below. Make sure to like, like, like. We need to pick up the algorithms on YouTube and expand our reach as we both build this community more and more. So like, subscribe, share this network with our share this video with your network. Uh, and as I said before, subscribe to our channel. We would not be here without you. That includes our first segment into the wire here in the TDR Trade of Black podcast. Now, segue into segment number two, which is our guest of the podcast here today. Let's welcome in. The Managing Director of Poseidon Investment Management, LLC, Emily Paxia. Good to see you. How are things? Oh, yeah, I think you're on mute, Emily. All good. Ugh, pandemic hangover. Nice <laughs> to see you all. Thanks for having me nice today. To good to see you. How are things? <laughs> Pretty good. You know, I, I say I'm cannabis good, which is also like hanging in there good. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> well. Yeah. I think, you know, let's tee things up as far as like who you are. I think a lot of people that have been following this space know who you are. You've been in this space and investing in this space for almost, I think it's over 10 years now. And 10 years in cannabis is a long time. And I'm sure you've learned a lot and a lot has changed. Uh, you're a fund manager. Um, so, you know, when we look at like, let's face it, cannabis's middle name is, is, is volatile. It's been so volatile for a lot of investors, as we know. When we look at the first 45 days here in 2024, a lot of sentiment that we're communicating to our audience is that this feels different this time. Do you agree with that? And if so, like, what's your take based on how this industry has gotten out of the gate here in 2024? Putting you on the spot. Yeah, no, it's cool. Um, I mean, I'm happy to see emotion back around cannabis, but I, I want to protect everybody from, from themselves a little bit on that yeah. because and I did post that clip from the idiocracy where he's like, <laughs> is this a family show? Do I have to keep my language? No, tight? no, <laughs> go ahead. No. Um, you know, it's like, try to just let's let's all calm down just a little bit. Um, I think there have been some exciting things that have happened in our industry in the beginning of 2024 to begin with, just from a business standpoint. I live in San Francisco, spend time in wine country in California. And I can't tell you how happy I am to be in the cannabis industry, which is a consumer segment that is market that is growing, yeah. where I'm watching my friends and colleagues in wine and spirits trying to hold on to what they can as they watch it decline. Yeah. Um, so from a business standpoint, I'm actually incredibly excited about 2024. And I'm also starting to see some of the tides shifting around the way businesses are working together to improve operationally and to drive a better consumer experience around the products offered and even yeah. like retail experiences. So from a, a bottoms up perspective, I'm I'm really excited about what 2024 has to offer. And also what you fellows were talking about before I came on about other catalysts, which we talk about catalysts in a couple of ways. There is, of course, the federal catalyst, which 
they hold they tend to hold capital at the gates. And Morgan and I were just talking about this this morning. We know that capital re started retreating from the sector actually in in this month of 2021 when the Archegos event happened, and yeah, the yeah. custody of assets became a real issue for institutional investors. And then yeah. we saw institutional capital start pulling out of the sector, selling for selling into April of 2021. And it's just never come back. So we yeah. don't have that kind of buoy of long institutional support around the sector. Instead, we have kind of algorithms and short interest playing around with the dynamics of this market since that time. And I'm so grateful for all of the enthusiastic individual or otherwise known as retail investors who participate in this industry and think there's something to this. Um, it's exciting. But I think, you know, people talk about the catalyst being, you know, the scheduling, the banking, and and the one the case that I'm really excited about pushing through the legal system. Um, but then I look at the local catalysts, such as the states that open and the things like that, that actually drive um, the revenues, the business profiles, things like that. So there's a couple ways to think about it. What that which drives the business and that which drives the movements of the markets. Yeah. Good point. In, uh, in terms of, I guess, capital deployment and thesis, I mean, I know Poseidon's got, I think you have three funds um, yeah, that are fully deployed as of right now. Um, um, I mean, I've I've been investing in the space since like 2015. I know that you have since 2014. How hmm. has your thesis changed today hmm. since over time? And are you looking at things differently now than yeah. you did back then? Great, great question. Um, yes, things have changed, uh, mainly because we actually have a ton of visibility about how these businesses work. We have metrics that we can actually stack them up against so we can hold them accountable for how they're performing. When we first started investing in 2024, we had no real sense of what a gross margin profile of a fully vertically integrated multi-state operator. I mean, there yeah. wasn't even a multi-state operator. Good point. Um, yeah. And so and so if you think about it, we invested early in the U.S., but we were early in Canada before Afria went public, for example. Things were talked about back then were like funded capacity because funded we didn't. Capacity. Right. We I didn't understand term. how we were going to match the supply demand on this industry. And so it became yeah. really interesting to kind of unfold that. And as we watched the valuations go parabolic in Canada, we actually took those returns and put them into companies like GTI when they were 30 people. Yeah. And frankly, wow. we were a little nervous about what it meant to invest in a multi-state operator. And there was a little bit of um, wait and see to see how this would all be consolidated because not even all states would allow it. So now I would say our it's it's almost like now we have uh, full blown <laughs> like vision on what yeah. this should look like and we can measure it using metrics. Like we we are big focused on um, SGNA containment, on a focus on gross margins, on uh, the quality of the footprint of the operators. We look at a lot of those data points to understand the staying yeah. power and the longevity of these companies. And then yeah. I know, it's, I'd be curious to get your, your take on this too. I know that you have several like non-plant touching um, mm -hmm. investments. Um, do you see that thesis intact or do you see like enterprise level players as like Adobe, Salesforce and the likes of the tech world, like making t products that are tailored towards the cannabis industry? Or do you still see tech as like a burgeoning, um, a, a burgeoning part of the space? I think that the longer the tech plays, this is one of those things where the federal, the lack of federal reform cuts both ways. Yeah. It gives these tech companies a ton of 
space to run to get really sticky and embedded and most importantly developing strong deep data. And that's really what uh, companies who want to get into the industry are going to be looking for. They're going to be looking at the quality of the, the customer bases of these companies, yep. the cost to acquire or take away those customers, and then also the, the actual quality of the technology and the data. Now, uh, this is one of the beneficial aspects of investing on the private side of cannabis, even if it can be very, very difficult, because there's not a lot of capital that supports it alongside of us at this point. Yeah. We get to see who else is investing in these private companies. And I can say without naming names, in our technology companies, we have several very large non-cannabis tech companies that have invested and have people with board observer rights or board seats who are watching these companies with an interest to potentially discuss acquisition at the moment that it becomes really possible. Yeah. yeah. And they keep it quiet because of-, of course. You know, yeah, but I, I think that's the example on what we touched on, guys, earlier. Just some of the day to day stuff is being overlooked, you know, because we're so fixated on rescheduling. But when you have some of these conversations and see the growth that's going on in individual states, uh, it's actually moving at a really, really fast pace. So when I sit here and say that you've been investing in this space for 10 years in cannabis, uh, it's a long time and there's a lot of change that happens on a month to month basis, right? Yeah, it really does. And and you can see also the full spectrum of how the industry is operating when you work with the ancillary companies. You can get a sense for the health of how these companies are paying their bills. You can also see how their products are doing. Like we're investors in headset and nothing like having access to a data dashboard that give, and every investor really should. I mean, the amount of information I have about the types of products that do well in which markets and like watching this emergence of this value brand category in, in the time where people were feeling a little bit constrained in the inflationary environment is really interesting and seeing different retail strategies by different operators and understanding what works best in what market. I mean, we just saw, I would say one of the most successful um, Super Bowl ads ever was that Dunkin' Donuts ad that Isn't happened. That great? That was great. And they sold the most donuts ever in the history of the company on Monday. I mean, talk about knowing your audience. And that's where we can go with cannabis if we start using these resources. And I think people. They turned they, around that fast with that ad within like that, 24 I mean, hours. Talk about conversion. I mean, I wanted a donut. Well, I've seen Gary yeah. V come on CNBC before in the past. And it's like, did these commercials work? And he's like, ask me that question within six months. But. Um, and that's a fair assessment, but wow, uh, yeah. I did not know those stats, but that's incredible. It, I, I love digging into the portfolio companies on Poseidon's uh, site because it gives me, it kind of reaffirmed my own investment style in terms of, um, you know, growing cannabis is super sexy and it's going to take over and there's going to be brands that win. And, you know, I think there's going to be a ton of MA and all of that. But if you look up the, pie chart of how many uh sort of tech or ancillary or pick and shovel plays that uh poseidon is investing in and then you dig into the 13 f's of the publicly traded ones you can get some really interesting feedback about um you know well your own colin uh ferian posted yeah. that thing about uh the 13 f into weed maps like weed maps. it's no small deal yeah um and yeah. That, you know, when, when billionaires push chips in, take notice. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, look at Dutchie. I mean, Dutchie just raised another hundred million and Dutchie's got Thrive Capital on their, uh, on their cap table. Um, I mean, that's, that's Kushner's brother who hit like Insta, Instacart, Instagram, Snapchat, 
he's got like 15 unicorns under his belt with thrive what have they what have um, they raised in total, in total now uh i think they've raised like 400 million their last round though was at a three and a half billion dollar valuation and the round that they just raised was 400 million um it was a good, haircut but good for they've Ross still got they've got a who's who of investors on their cap table yeah, that's for sure. Uh, Andrew Russell writes, I want a 10 milligram infused donut. Uh, yeah, not a bad choice. That actually would be good. I think you'll probably see that commercial in next year's Super Bowl again with a part two if you got that kind of return on your investment. But, um, you know, this has been good. I know there's a few other things that you guys wanted to talk about as well pertaining to the John Boyce uh, lawsuit. Yes. Um, but uh, go, up, go ahead if you wanted to bring some of that stuff up. Oh, no, for sure. I want I, you know, before I zoom out and go five, 10, you know, 100 years out, I, I definitely want to hear more about the lawsuit just for the audience. I know all about it, but I what does the lawsuit actually hope to accomplish and what kind of timeline can we expect? I know no promises on the timeline. I'm just saying, what's the end goal? No, I mean, the end goal would be just to be completely reductionist, since I'm not a lawyer and we work yes. with very good ones on this, um, is basically to say that the CSA is is overreaching from a federal level into in, into states that are operating with intra-state commerce. Very yep, important. Right. It's all happening okay. within the four walls of those states under programs that have been voted upon and approved within those states. And this overreach is causing harm to this, these businesses. And we know that in the motion to dismiss, it was suggested that that's not true. Well, I can already say in being a part of pulling people together around this case, listening to the named plaintiff share their stories. Um, and, and it goes from large companies all the way to very, very small companies. The impact is, is un doubtable it's like it's just like there's yeah. we and we have tons of support to prove that so i think we're gonna have a pretty strong pushback we we knew it was coming this way and this is part of the kind of chess of taking a judicial push you know i was um so what do you think ultimately what do you think ultimately comes out of this I mean, our goal is to continue to apply pressure at the federal level. We have three branches of government and one hasn't been really worked. The legislative branch has consistently disappointed us. We know where the executive's kind of waffling on this. Yeah. And right now, this judicial is, is just another pressure point on the process here. And I think it's a very important one because I can tell you right now, I spoke with the original lawyer who argued... Um, Gonzalez versus Raish. And cool. it was a different time, a different place, a different court. And there wasn't really a legal commercial cannabis industry. Mm -hmm. It was all the right. nonprofits. Yeah. Home grows and which I still love. And that's the history and legacy of this industry. I hope we can maintain that. I think everybody does, but you know, I think when you're arguing about commerce, it's important to have yeah. actual commerce and now we do. And so there's a lot of things going in favor, but our, our whole thing is to do this for a few reasons. I mean, it also is really important. I don't think many of us will ever forget the day Jeff Sessions rescinded the coal memo. We don't know who the next person coming in will be in their position on cannabis and what that could mean. Right. I think we should all act as though Hedge people your bet. back. Yeah. And so we the end game, to the end game for the lawsuit though, is, is going all the way to the Supreme court though, isn't yes. it? That, yeah, that's correct. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's so going to be cannabis that of cannabis at the, at the Supreme court level. Yeah. yeah. Sean okay. Kelly. Do you think that the dismissal, do you think that the dismissal was so like, well, we've got this tied in a bow at the DEA. Um, it's coming like, yes, there were damages that you could claim, but two eighty is ultimately going to go away anyway. So 
here's what we think? I think that that was an effort to try to um, flex on it by okay. saying that. But I think that the rescheduling, first of all, we don't know what it'll look like or when it'll happen. We don't right. know the shape of it on the impact of the businesses per se. Um, yes, it is likely 280 goes away based on just like, again, armchair reviewing. Yeah, of all speculation. Yeah. But I think that this is another layer of articulation and protection around business. Mm -hmm. because okay. it, it, we don't know where we're headed with this. And so this pushes us into at least we could say that this, the federal government will have to respect the rights of the states and how they choose to implement their laws around uh, legal cannabis framework. Yeah, Clarence Thomas wrote 25 pages about this years ago. So mm -hmm. it's nice to know yes. that at least if it gets to the Supreme Court, there's an ally there. Yeah. And a sort of unexpected uh, one. But, you know, when Clarence Thomas gets it, we're, <laughs> we got a shot. Yeah, yeah. When someone kind of whistles and is like, come on over, you're like, yeah. okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited for it. Uh, Sean Kelly writes that rate or no, not race. Sorry, totally agree. Sometimes legal pressure is necessary to move things. Jungle Java writes uh, 10 years in the cannabis space must feel like it's 40 of other people writing. There's no way she's been investing in this space for uh, 10 years. She looks like she's 23. Oh, so uh, getting some happy Valentine's getting, Day. Getting there. some great <laughs> comments on this podcast, which is nice because we all know how the online world can be a little bit negative at times, but you don't need us to say it's got, uh, this industry can have its frustrations. So I, I can relate yeah. and uh, totally understand where the audience comes from, but uh, them watching here is what we appreciate. One thing I wanted to bring up too, you were saying you live in San Francisco mm -hmm. and the wines and spirits industry and how they're kind of holding on right now based mm -hmm. on conversations. And we've seen stats on alcohol sales, like granted alcohol is still a lot bigger industry from what cannabis is, but we've seen the trend for alcohol going like this and cannabis going like this. Based on some of the conversations and contacts that you have, like how are they viewing cannabis? Are they starting to like take notice and understanding consumer trends are changing drastically over the past uh, you know year or two? Yeah, yeah. I had very real conversations about this, especially even with like I think craft brew has been just taking an absolute beating yeah. out there. I know it yeah. has. The data is very brutal, and we actually talked about this last year on my podcast, but. I, you know, they they took a beating because then people became calorie conscious and shifted over to these um, seltzers. Then everybody kind of followed the leader into the seltzer category and kind of took a bath there because there's just too much. And so then a couple of them just ran ahead of the others. And so I think we're seeing some culling of those operations. But what the big conversation was, because we were going into January, was, oh, my God, dry January. And also, oh, my God, the young millennials and the Gen Z are just not. Not at all. It's going into the category. Mm -mm. Yeah. So no I, wants to be hung over. <clears throat> I feel so bad for them. So I'm born in 1976. And when you graduate from high school and you're at prom, you know what that night's all about. You're partying yeah. your brains out. But my neighbor, you know, she has a uh, son, 19 years old, 18, whatever, graduated from high school. Nobody drank at the prom party last year. It's all based on, you know, edibles, cannabis uh, consumption. I'm sure there was a few that drank, but you're right. It's just the younger generation. A lot of the younger generations, microdosing mushrooms. <clears throat> And they'll yeah. they'll take that they'll take smaller doses of psilocybin versus actually drink alcohol. Yeah, um, they're basically doing everything but drinking alcohol um, nowadays. Happy Smaller glass rates. What's the point of that? They're gonna yeah. look great when they're older, but yeah, <laughs> there's gonna be there's gonna be craft cannabis with the C and craft cannabis with the K, 
the balance of which is yet to be determined, but I'm just super excited for all of it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Before I let you go, and it's a hot topic, rescheduling. Yeah. What do you think of it? And oh, do you think it happens? Does it change? Does it feel different this time? I got to bring up the question. Do you think oh, it happens here in the short term? It's super important. Look, I mean, we've never, I will say this, like we've been doing this a long time and you can see the fits and starts of change. We've never seen such a yep. significant thing. And reading that HHS report was like, I was like pounding the table with yes. Um, especially actually when they made the call out about alcohol, I put that in our investor yeah. newsletter, um, the positive call out compared to alcohol. But I think that, um, to try to predict the timeline of the DEA. The DEA is basically embedded in the enforcement. Well, I mean, we're, this is their whole job. So when you, you know, when you try to take away someone's budget or their job related to enforcing things around cannabis, you have to understand they're going to think seriously about this. I mean, yeah. if, even if they tried to, if we tried to say they should be devoid of any of those motives, we all know that people are human and this is these are contributing factors to decisions. You have to understand where people come from. So I think the DEA, if you look at the timelines of how the DEA makes these decisions, it's usually very long. I think we have an overlay of a, a catalytic event of having an election year and a president who's weighed in on where this should be. And we know the HHS is speaking out. We know politicians are speaking out, albeit I wish they had just passed banking reform. But yeah. They're speaking, they're speaking out now in favor of it because it pulls so well. I mean, it's 70% on the Gallup. I can't even believe it. But but where I'm coming from on this is we all just have to be patient. The DEA is working through their process. I, I think, you know, every day I kind of wake up and I wonder if this will be the day. But then I'm also like, I'm just focusing on the businesses. We're coming up on the queue, earnings yeah. calls. I'm very curious to see those. You know what I'm doing in preparation? I see people talking about this one person on Twitter. I don't even mention the name. But um, somebody writes, whose dog is that? <laughs> my what dog. I, he won't shut up. Oh, I yeah. love dogs. But what I am doing, if, if it's helpful to anyone, is Morgan turned me on to the quarter app, which is yeah. Q-U-A-R-T-R. -R. And you can listen to the quarterly earnings calls and jump ahead to Q&A. You can read the transcripts. And I do that in advance of these cues. So I can hear where they were then and what they're going to say now. And I think I'm just trying to focus on businesses while, I'm, while we're waiting for this DEA thing. So I would just urge everybody to look carefully at the companies they're, they're going into. When this decision is announced, I do think there will be capital flowing into quality names. I know fundamentals are like kind of a boring um i think you called it a boomer thing or something um, <laughs> but you know you're on I, you you're still on I, you, I didn't Anthony. call it i didn't call it a boomer thing i called the tweet boomer pontification boomer. but no i, like I think fundamentals fundamentals are super important valuation yeah. metrics but, boomer. But, but as of right but as of right <laughs> now if the sector traded on fundamentals everything would be way higher from a multiple perspective you're right yeah. You're right. And that's good news, by the way. That's, right. good news. that's, that's the only reason that I can sleep at night deploying capital in this space into yeah. the names that I'm doing, because I understand the fundamentals of everything that we're investing in as crazy as people might think we are. The fundamentals are sound yeah. and they're yeah. growing and they're, they can't get any worse, really. From Margins sure could get worse. But from a cash flow generation perspective, if and when 280 goes away, the gloves are off. And then you can actually now start to trade the sector on fundamentals. Yeah. They might Which everyone should be looking at today. Yeah. 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 We're getting some feedback, Anthony, that the audience wants to see your dog. 
So uh, he's on. He has, I'm on the third. I'm on the third floor. He's all the way downstairs. All he's, right. So he just barks really loud. Next I was just going to say, if he's got any questions, bring him on up, and we're happy to take his questions right no. now. But Hank is uh, uh, Hank is all the way downstairs. Oh, who's that? Who's that? Guap. That's Ducky. He stays quiet until he stays you come quiet. in. Well behaved. My, my dog's nuts. <laughs> Last thing I want to like bring up is, um, what would you say? Like, you, look, look, you have persevered in this industry. When we go to a lot of these conferences, there's a lot of people, you know, know who you are. Like I said, been investing in this space. But um, what do you think ultimately where this industry is five years from now with everything that you've seen? And like I said, 10 years in the cannabis space, that takes somebody with a lot of strong work ethic and somebody who can adapt uh, with the times uh, in a short period of time. And just when you think you got everything figured out, you got to adapt again. But when you look back at all that, where are we five years from now in this space and how you uh, think you'll continue to persevere within it? Yeah. I mean, I think my soul has left my body at least five times over since we started <laughs> investing. I mean, yeah, even I you're waiting to decide, find out if we we're going to be designated as essential during the pandemic. I mean, there's wow, so yeah. many things we've been through. Um, and easy I, to I, forget, isn't it? It's easy to forget. Yeah. But then I like have like these, these memories that don't leave my body. <laughs> but I think that, um, you know, where we're going to go is I think we're going to continue to move down a path of operational focus in terms of improving the efficiency and metrics of these businesses. I think that we're going to see really clear brand strategies develop. Building a brand is a long arc in any consumer category. Absolutely. And yeah. And so I think we're starting to see the beginning of that. And, you know, it is going to be interesting to see how this D8, D9 stuff plays out in markets that don't fully uh, create adult use frameworks like Texas, as I heard you guys talking about, or yeah. um, some of the exceptions we've seen in Minnesota or Connecticut. But, you know, I think it's going to be it's look on top of this political piece, there's a generational consumer shift that's occurring and it flows both ways, right? It's flowing from the kids up to the parents and all these things. So I think yeah. we're going to see cannabis as a true carve out of people's consumer habits, whether it be for wellness or lifestyle or whatever component. Beverages think, are going to be huge. Five, yeah. seven, six, seven years. I think that as we've yeah. talked about that too, right, Anthony? Yeah. I mean, I think beverages are going to be big and it's, it's evident in what we saw this morning in Texas. Yeah. And I think that we're going to see cannabis inhabit its rightful place in experiential locations. Like hundred percent. That's I mean, why I've always thought beverage is beverage is but beverage could be big because if you go to a dolphin game, if you go to a music festival, if you go to a rap concert, yeah. they're not going to be giving you combustibles. They're not going to be selling flour. They're not going to be selling vapes. Beverages are easy. Gummies are easy. Like those form factors to me can scale at experiential easier than yeah. anything else. Yep. And it's, and the thing we talk about too, I mean, beverage is tiny and it's, in it's emerging category. Yeah. I think it has a ways to go to being improved just like vape did when we first got in. But I think, um, but it's, it's already so embedded in our, in our culture from a socializing standpoint, we drink yep. coffee and tea together. We drink wine and spirits together. Like cannabis beverage seems to have a place at the table for sure. Going so forward. that day, that day will come, you believe. I do. I do because cannabis whether or not people want to acknowledge it has been an experiential product this whole time. I mean, yeah. I've ever been to a show without anybody consuming yeah. cannabis and I'll be shocked. Even Good point. Yeah. So I think it's been embedded. So why not create it as a, or create a pathway where it, it's a part of it? I mean, we have it at outside lands. 
Um, ben Kovler and the team at GTI pulled it off with uh, the festival this summer um, and with their Rhythm brand. I mean, that's a brand that's developing into a real ethos, which is yep. cool. So why not see more of that? Well, we probably will. Um, but uh, I think this has been great. appreciate the time. Uh, give a like to our audience out there if you think Emily should be a weekly regular on the podcast. Well, How's well, that hang going, on, Emily? Hang on. We have to talk to her first about that. <laughs> <laughs> I would love it, but yeah. Give me I'm some like. Come on anytime. You guys are fun to chat with. What was the term you and Anthony were talking about back in the original days when you used to look at some of those decks? What was that term that you guys brought up? Funded, Funded capacity. capacity. Yeah. It was basically the LP saying, hey, we raised $500 million, which is now going to enable us to grow 3 million square feet of cannabis. <laughs> That's going to equate to $800 million in annualized revenue. But there's only 30 million people in Canada to sell it to. We can't go to the U.S. and Europe still isn't getting their shit together. But here's our valuations. Where do I sign? Yeah. I, and I mean, dude, I, I watched Canopy Growth in my portfolio go from $1.30 to $67. It was insane. I mean, but what yes, money capacity was all the rage. What were some uh, original OG uh, terms? Uh, low cost producer. That was another one. That was Afria. Oh, yeah. That was Afria. Yeah. That was the, the Vic Newfeld just stood on stage and was like, we've got sun 360 days a year. We're going to grow it at five cents a gram. We don't really know how yet, but we can. And this is our thesis. Yeah. And then you had, and dominate. Yeah, yeah. You had, you had uh med relief, Canamed, uh, tons of, yeah. Ton Metrum. I mean, we had can trust. Can trust with hidden grow rooms. Like there was crazy stuff that happened in Canada. I oh, yeah. And I remember when we decided to rotate our capital, Morgan and um, another guy had done an analysis and they were like, there's so much weed in Canada. Every man, woman and child would have to like smoke a pound a day to like burn through yeah. this. Product. Pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah. Burning it in piles. That would have been a sight. Well, they yeah. Did. yeah. I used to see all the executives come into our Bloomberg studios just for interviews. And man, whatever they were talking about or when an announcement was made. You'd see into the close, the stock up 20%. And then the first couple hours, the next day, same thing again. Like, Dude, it was amazing. <laughs> you would see press releases. You'd see press releases come out at 7 a.m. Soon as the market opens, stock's up 18, 20%. Press release yeah. the next day, stock's up 18, 20%. Yeah. It just kept going. Well, Look, I think a lot of people. Back, guys. This is 4,000 years of cannabis consumption. We're up year over year. Let's just keep going. Stop yeah, looking yeah. back at all these weird stocks and stuff. Who cares? I don't know if the run will last as long, but the rescheduling is going to create quite a buzz in the space that I do, do feel very strongly about. And I think this yeah. is just, you know, a pot that's been, uh, water's been boiling for probably a good six, seven years, and it's ready to blow off. As far how long that runs for, I don't know. You'll probably see somewhat of a pullback, but at least that bottom will be a lot higher than where we are now. But I'm, I'm ready for the party. And when all this uh, ETF micro moves don't mean jack. Well, we need to continue to have you on because we had a lot of positive comments here today. So I'll let you run. <laughs> uh, we talked a lot about Sun with uh, Thick Vic Newfeld and uh, the old Sun Parlor Artillery. <laughs> Looks like you're getting some good sun too. Where are you? Are you in... Uh, California right now? Or are you whereabouts? Today I'm in uh, Tampa, Florida, or St. Pete's, Florida. Nice. Yeah. Nice. 
That's yeah. just the glow of youth of a 23-year-old, 23, 23 right? 23-year-old, right? Get excited when we talk about it. Yeah. Well, listen, uh, let's keep in touch, and uh, we'll reach back out. But, yeah, hopefully you can find some time and have you on a lot more regularly. But this has been great. I appreciate the time. Thanks, guys. All right. Thanks, Emily. Thank Thanks, Emily. Oh, that was great. And, and the one thing we forgot to say for everybody watching, Dan Aarons announced earlier, Cureleaf. Yeah. Oh, I was no going to do that with the earpiece. This just in. Dan Aarons can now hold Cureleaf paper. For the latest, here's Anthony Farrell. Whoop, whoop. Yeah, they got taken off the list. Okay, so good. Dan can now hold paper versus slops. Uh, Paisley out there. I need you to do some yoga and smoke a big flat bunt, a blunt this, uh, tonight. Cause you're talking that's, about that's what's happening on Friday, guys. I've decided no more fun FUD, uh, front page. I'm just going to lead every, th everyone through a breathing exercise. Uh, Let me finish though. Light stretching he, he, and slow motion waterfalls. That's I'm switching completely over to that. He brought up David Klein. David Klein was not today. We are interviewing David Klein tomorrow from Canopy. That is a pre-recorded podcast. We're going to push that out next Tuesday. Why? Maybe Monday or Tuesday, but probably Tuesday. It's a holiday, obviously, in the States and Canada. But we're going to ask the uh, financial questions, balance sheets questions. A lot of you reached out to us. So we will be actually doing that interview tomorrow and posting that early next week. As well, Dan the Chartman. He's actually away until tomorrow, but he joins us again on the podcast on Friday, which I think will be great. We'll do a quick recap of the overall industry for the week. And by the sounds of it, it looks like it's going to be brighter days ahead when you look at Glop's eyes. But uh, yeah, get, get some also, sunshine, hug somebody. Joe. It's the day of love. Let's show some. There, there, there's your answer, whether or not they're a good cannabis operator. Someone kept asking. Can't tell you whether they're good or not. I can tell you that they have a nice footprint. They've been getting beat up for unbeknownst reasons that have all been financially motivated with fund selling and ETFs rebalancing. Yeah. But I think the decision to invest in them, you need to make on your own. Yeah. But they do have a very interesting company. Yeah. Listen, we want this to go viral. So like, 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 appreciate it. Smash that like button. Click on that bell for notifications. Please share this video with your network. And as usual, please subscribe to our channel. We want to grow a big community. The bigger we get, the farther this messaging will go. As well, log on to thedalesreport.com. And subscribe to our daily newsletter, Baked In Newsletter, tomorrow. We have our weekly equity research report. We're featuring the top 43 companies in the cannabis space. Find out who it is. It's exclusive to TDR Baked In Newsletter subscribers. Gentlemen, enjoy the rest of your day. We'll catch back with you on Friday morning at 11 a.m. with Dan the Chartman. See Mitch is there. getting the hook out. He's hooking us off. This day. He's playing he us is. out. Yeah. <laughs> Hey everyone, thanks for watching. If you want to learn more about the emerging industries that we cover, then leave a comment below and let us know who you want us to interview, the questions you want asked, and the information that you want to learn. We want to hear from you. As usual, click on that bell for all notifications to get the latest information, share this video with your network, and don't forget to subscribe to our channel because 